Hey there, everyone, and welcome back to Game Store Profits. This is episode 50 of the show where geek and god collides. My name's Luke Navarro. And my name is Mike Perna. And we are all connected and wired up appropriately, I hope. If not, if, not, if you're only hearing me, folks, uh, and my luscious, beautiful voice, you know that there have been technical issues. Yeah, the technology has, has revolted and has decided that it's going to make tonight's recording difficult. But we shall overcome, my friends. We shall. You you cannot stop the signal. Uh, so how you been, man? What, what what's going on in your life? I have been busy, to say the least. I know that seems pretty regular. Like this has become almost shtick with us. You ask me how I've been, and I've said I'm busy. But uh, I I spent the weekend. I had my very first anniversary this weekend with my lovely wife, and uh, her anniversary present was to get a puppy. So yeah. Her pre- present to you or your present to her? Both. Okay. So so there is there's a new life form in your house is what that's what you're saying? There is and I'm really hoping that my voice coming through I've kind of shut all the doors that would allow him to hear me. Uh, I'm hoping that he doesn't start barking in the middle of this cuz the last thing we need on a, on a night when technical difficulties are rife it, will will I need to edit my dog out of this. So hopefully he'll be quiet. But yes, uh, his name is Bates, uh, named after a character from Downton Abbey, not Norman. Nice. And nice. Uh, he is part... The best character from Downton Abbey. Right? See, that's what my wife and I were thinking. For sure. Um, no no he, doubt. He he is a shelter dog, so he came with another name, but thankfully he's only six months old, so he's kind of at that point where it's really easy to, to train him to respond to another name. Well, you know, and if you love him... He'll probably just come whenever you say anything. So. Right. And, well, the name he was given is Greg, which is my wife's father's name. And so it would Who be... Who names a dog Greg? Apparently the people who had him before we did. And we That's just, weird. We just thought it would be really awkward at, you know, if we hosted any kind of family dinner and I had to yell, Greg, sit down! <laughs> that, that wouldn't go over well. Yelling at my so father. So what kind of dog is this? Uh, he is part black lab, uh, part mm-hmm. pit terrier. Okay, so imagine a that's sh- a that's a strange combo. He's a short black lab who's built like a truck. All right, <laughs> but yeah, he's got a lot of energy. He's strong. I'm. I, let's just put it this way: I'm a big dude. I'm six foot four hundred pounds, and this dog pulls me at six months old. He pulls me pretty soundly. So, nice. needless to say, when he gets when he gets older, he's going to be a handful. We're hoping that he milds out. Because right now he's got energy like it's going out of style. Yeah, my dog's 13 and she's still crazy. That's, that's Only not for short periods of time. That's not what I want to hear. But, <laughs> she's still crazy. So that's cool. You celebrated your anniversary last weekend. We did. Uh, I, I actually was busy last weekend too. I, I went to... KublaCon. Oh, the, I have been uh, dying. The... I have been dying to hear about KublaCon just because I want to say the words KublaCon. So, so tell <laughs> me, Luke. Luke, how was your experience at KublaCon? Uh, KublaCon was quite fun. Uh, was there for three days, uh, two days, and some change. I uh, got there Saturday morning and left Monday midday, and uh, just. You know, as my first gaming convention, I've been to lots of, like, sci-fi conventions, comic book conventions, 
but never a, like, all we are doing here is board games <laughs> kind of convention. Uh, so that was interesting. Um, and, and you know what? It really does tell you something about our community here. Because, so you get there, and the convention actually started on Friday. As which ones I didn't really Right, but what I didn't really I couldn't have made it on Friday anyway, so it was a moot point, but everything, by the time I got there Saturday morning, it's like, okay, well, here are these games that we're going to be playing at this time and this time and this time, and there's just tons of them, right? And every single one of them has eight slots and 26 names on the list. Oh, yeah. By by the time I get there Saturday morning. So it's like, I can't do anything. But there is the the big main room with the huge board game lending library. And the deal is, you you get the game, you put up a flag if you want other players to come, and they come and you play the game. And, you know, so I sat down, played probably, I don't know, maybe a dozen games over the the, the period of time. And a couple of them I played with my regular gaming group, but most of them I played with just perfect strangers. Totally, like, you'd never know that we didn't know each other forever. Nice. You know, it's like, this is our community. This is our tribe. These are our people. And you just kind of fit right in, and everything went right on, and you get to play a whole bunch of different games and buy a bunch of stuff, which is always fun, right? So... I have to ask, what what was your favorite game that you played over the weekend? What was my favorite game? Well, this Here, is a little give, bit of a cheaty answer. I'm gonna give you a couple different. I'm gonna give you a couple different variants because I know that's hard because you spend an entire weekend playing games. You're gonna have right. a, a number of options. So I'm gonna say, just straight up your best game, as in just the game. It didn't matter who you were playing with. If you were to buy this and take this home, it would still be your best game. And then. Also, I'm going to give you your best experience. Like, you're saying you're playing with strangers, you're coming up with people that you don't know. What was the best gaming experience? Because there, there are certain games that are better with the right group. All right, well, I'm going to throw out my answer to the first one. You tell me if it doesn't count. Okay. Because the game that absolutely hooked me this weekend uh, and is now my new love and passion in life is Flames of War. And for those who don't know, Flames of War is not a board game. It's a miniature, it's a war game uh, based on World War II. And so basically, you know, your tanks and infantry. And it's the cool thing about it is it's a 15 millimeter war game, which if you, the, an infantryman, it's about the size of your, your pinky fingernail is about how tall the infantryman is. Right. And so, I mean, it's very, very small, which means you got, it seems like you have masses of troops, even though you actually only have a relatively small number of bases. And because all of the terrain is designed to be built on actual World War II experiences, man, I just, I was so hooked. Um, it was one of those things where I was like number 35 on the list, right? Eight people can play. And I, and I just was like, I want to try this. I've wanted to try this for decades, it seems like. Uh, and so I went and I just kind of stood there and I was like, well, maybe people won't show up. And lo and behold, only seven people showed up. I got to take the eighth spot. Uh, we played Germans versus Russians and I, uh, it was four people on four people. Uh, and I was in control of a group of Russian, uh, partisans, basically just conscripts, just villagers 
who like picked up their rifles and were hiding out in their houses when the German tanks came a coming. And it was awesome. You know, they're sitting there trying to hold their homes while while this invader is coming toward them. It's snowing. So everything is covered in snow. The tanks are getting all bogged down in the in the snow and the mud. And these like completely untrained, unskilled, can't hit anything partisans are just fighting for their families, you know? It was awesome. And so that was but it was not a board game, so I don't know if that counts. I, I'm totally gonna count. I I didn't necessarily need it to specifically be a board game. You played a game. Um and and heck, I know several people who would consider games like Memoir forty four a board game. And that's pretty much a similar situation where you're take, basically taking uh, opposite sides of a conflict. So I will totally count that. It, it it seems like you had a lot of fun playing it, and so that's that's always the I key. did. So right. yeah, so I am now building a British army. So that'll be I'll keep you guys up to date on how that goes. Um, but my favorite game experience is one that is almost always my favorite game experience. All right. And uh, that is Pandemic. Oh, Pandemic. Because, because, I mean, you get together with three perfect strangers, or maybe it was four perfect strangers, uh, it was three, and you're just thrown into a completely impossible situation. We and, need to get to Moscow And you're working now. together... Yeah, when you're working together and you're trying to make this thing happen and you just get right about there and then all everything goes just sideways and you know it's an immediate thing where like you don't know these people but because it's a co-op you're bonding and you're playing together right there i think i think my worst experience with pandemic was one time we were all set to just destroy all disease everywhere we were, we had cured like two of them and we're all set to get everything else together. And then I pull up the card. I go, this is the last card. No. no. Oh. And I was playing with people who didn't know what the game mechanics were and what the rules were. And so I said, this is the last card. And game like, what over. Is... They just looked at me. They're like, what does that mean? And I go, when, it's, when you've dealt out the deck, that's the game. If you haven't done it in time, you lose. And all these people are yes. like, no, this is the absolute so, sadness. It's the on most their fun faces. you can have losing. Let's just, I mean, it's the most fun you can have losing. Hey, I can cite for the fact that uh, my first pandemic, aka Forbidden Island, destroyed some pretty solid gamers on tabletop this week. So. Uh, yes, it did. Yes, it did. And by the way, I picked up Forbidden Island at Kubicon. Forbidden so, Island is such a fun family. game. All right, so that actually brings us to our first topic for the day, and it is a user, it is a listener question. How awesome is that? I love the fact that we have listener questions. That's so great. And, and now, having said how awesome is that, I'm going to say I'm a total jerk. Okay. Because we're not used to having user questions, and the user question came in a couple weeks ago, and it came in on Facebook, and the nature of Facebook is such that it is now lost under a ginormous pile of posts, and I cannot find your name. Oh, oh kind listener who, who, who brought us a question. I don't know your name, and I'm so, so sorry for that, but thank you for your question, and I promise that next time one of you listeners posts a question, and we've been asking for the last, like, two episodes. When you post a question on Facebook, I will write it down, like, <laughs> not on Facebook, so that I can we can acknowledge you. And so first, first questioner, you know who you are. You will always live 
in infamy and i believe i know who it is because it's actually she's actually a friend of mine if it's remembered correctly it wasn't it was a she i remember it was a she if it's if it's the person who i'm thinking of it's if it's remembered solidly in my head she is if if you ever hear me ask about my costumer my costuming friends or my cosplay friends she's one of them um she's the one who made me an outfit that made me look like aslan for the the uh the lion the witch in the wardrobe all right that's intense so thank you for thank you for your question and the question was what are our top five games for board game newbies for beginners and uh, so I gave it some thought and uh, I know Mike you did as well mine aren't in any particular order I'll tell you what I did I, I went through and I said okay well first we need games that are relatively simple naturally now to be fair any game we talk about on this show. It's going to be more complex than, say, Yahtzee. We're not, lo- we're not looking or, for you've gone over to Grandma's and you're looking for something to do with your afternoon. Right. So, uh, simple. The second thing was I really wanted them all to be available. Easily available. Which is a challenge sometimes. Well, yeah, but now you can, there's a lot more games at Target. You can get them at Toys R Us. You can get them at Barnes & Noble. And you can certainly get them on Amazon. And if you go to your friendly local game store, if you happen to be lucky enough to have one, they're going to, they will either have this or they will be out of stock. They will be sold out. But these are games that they will typically have. And then the third thing I thought about was I wanted these to each be games that introduced like a mechanic or a game style that is sort of a genre unto itself. Hey, so did I. Okay, well, there you go. Um, So my first game uh, is a card game. And it's a game that you can, I know you can pick up at Target, called Flux. F-L-U-X-X. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. Uh, And Flux is... Flux is not on my list, but it's a good selection. All right, so Flux is a game where uh, it it is a hand uh, management game. It's where basically you are trying to play cards such that you have whatever the necessary requirements are for the goal in the game. The interesting thing about Flux is the goal changes all of the time, and the rules to the game can change all of the time based on cards that people play. Uh, And so you have to really kind of pay attention to what's happening. You have to uh, really read your cards and know what your cards are doing, and yet, it's really as simple as drawing a number of cards and playing a number of cards every turn. The game so, literally, when you, when you first play the game, there's a card that's like your start card, and that start card says, here are the rules. You draw one card, you play one card. Right. So it is that simple, and yet it is something that you, have, you can't just throw away. You've got to play, and you've got to think, and you've got to pay attention. Uh, and so my card game uh, is Flux. I, I, will, I will say that I agree completely with that one. Uh, there's a lot of variance in Flux, so you can definitely pick one that suits your fancy. It matches your style. You probably won't find the variance, though, at your your mass market store. Right. I, I highly recommend... I don't think. I highly recommend Star Flux. If you can find it, I know you can in this because I picked up my copy of, of Star Flux at a local Barnes & Noble. Okay. So I so know I it's findable. It. For me, it does the best job of being geeky, kind of fun, because it does all like science fiction tropes. Um, there's like Doctor Who references with uh, Hitchhiker's Guide be a references, with Star Trek references, Star Wars. Yeah. It's all in there. It's it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I I didn't really put a quote unquote card game. Um, though right. I did though I did do one that is significantly about cards. The reason I picked this game from for my list 
was not because it was a card game, but because it is an up-and-coming game mechanic. Like, a lot of games... This was kind of the front-runner of a lot of games who have since used this mechanic to, to huge success. And that is a game called Dominion. Oh, okay. You're putting Dominion in the intro games. I am, and this is this is why. All right. This is why. I, I if I if I were to rank them, I would put it lower down in the list. It would be my number five because of the fact okay. that of the ones that I picked, it is the more complicated of the five that I picked. However, all right. If you have ever heard the term, this is a deck building game. Right. Dominion was, was the, the first. first, or at least it was the first popular. Right. Maybe it was actually the first. I don't know enough to know that but there's a lot of stuff going on in dominion but to give you the 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 absolute breakdown of it i mean if you take away all the the extra stuff that has been put on dominion there's something like umpteen expansions to to dominion but if you're looking at just the core game you set up 10 little districts and you everybody starts out with the same cards so it's completely strategy it's not necessarily luck in the fact that Everyone starts out with the same hand. You use the money in your hand to buy different cards, and you're constantly shuffling the deck of cards that you have, adding in new cards as you go. And the goal is to get to a certain, either a certain number of victory points or to have one of the districts completely sold out. Um, it's a ton of fun. It, it really sounds more complicated than it is. I've played a number of games of Dominion. The first game of Dominion I played, um, it was actually a... a week where somebody couldn't come to our D&D game and so somebody had Dominion and we played that instead. Um it was it was pretty quick to to pick up. It wasn't overly complicated, but again, it comes down to learning the strategy, learning how you want to play this game, learning which districts give you which powers, when to buy points, when to buy money, when to buy all that stuff. So there's it it brings in a very simple mechanic with a lot of strategy, which is why I would put it into this list. All right. And if you decide that you like Dominion, there are 857,000 expansions. Oh, there are so many. I have... My <laughs> brother... My I, I didn't own this copy of Dominion, so what, uh, my brother actually bought it for me one year for Christmas, and he bought a box that had two expansions in it. I only really play right. with one of them, because the other one just gets needlessly confusing. But, um, but yeah, Dominion is... If, if you like Dominion... You will play Dominion a lot because there's constant change in strategy and coolness. Well, my second game also has 16 million expansions, and I am guessing it's probably on your list too. It is. It's a pretty much a standard, and that is Settlers of Catan. Ah, yes, it is. It it was very high on my list. You know, Settlers of Catan. In fact, if right, if you were gonna say uh, the 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 game that was the most accessible, everyone uh, has it now. This is on my one or two for most accessible, uh, and that is Settlers of Catan. Settlers of Catan, basically, uh, it's played on an island, uh, well, a continent kind of a thing, that is randomly generated, depending, I guess, on the edition that you have. There are lots of editions of uh, Settlers of Catan out there, but most of them uh, are a random series of tiles that, that each represent uh, a different resource. And uh, your goal uh, in the game is to place your uh, your cities so that you have access to those resources. Uh, each resource is received based on a die roll that happens for, in each player's turn. And uh, you are doing your best to build toward victory points based on how many cities you have, what the size of your military is, uh, who has the longest road, etc., etc. And, you know, for me, it was 
simply the first uh, advanced. I don't even what's the right word for not mass not mass market board game. Yeah, it, it's kind of hard to draw the line. I I often refer to I often refer to it as a hobby board game because it's more than your basics. It's more than your Monopoly or your Parcheesi or your right. stuff like that. It goes that that next level. So you're pretty much into hobby gaming at that point. That, I like that, hobby gaming. Um, but, that said, you will find Settlers of Catan everywhere. Any place that sells, like, more than three board games, you'll find it there. Uh, so, you know, in, in any fact, toy store, as, as we, any... As we've mentioned, it's actually it's actually getting harder to find it at a game store because <laughs> Toys right. R Us and Target and all those guys are carrying it now. So you could, if you go to and a game store and ask for store. Settlers, they'll probably tell you they can order it for you. <laughs> right. Uh, and so it was on your list as well? Oh, yeah. It had to be. Okay. One that I'm going to... because Okay, there are going to be three of these that I'm pretty confident both of us are going to have because they are the big three. Well, I don't know. We'll see. Okay. Um, I'm going to go for my one that isn't in what I consider the big three that people often recommend for All right. Um, and we've already mentioned it. It's also why I'm bringing it up. Forbidden Island. Okay. The reason I cite Forb- Forbidden Island is because of the fact that one of the most well-known games ever, which we've also mentioned, is Pandemic. Pandemic is a hard, hard game. It is complex. You're trying to figure out, you know, orchestrate characters moving across literally the entire world. Uh, it's, it's a hard game to get into right off the bat. However, Forbidden Island takes all the mechanics of Pandemic and shrinks it onto one tiny island and you okay. you basically get, I see where you're going you basically get all the complexity and the strategy and the cooperation of the big game pandemic in a much more easy to learn accessible version in Forbidden Island which is why I said that it's here and also it's another game that's available everywhere again I bought my my copy back back when I was working for Borders the store that no longer exists uh, see it's not uh, I don't know. I've been. Tr- I tried. Been trying to find a copy for a long time. Really? And like actually buying it from a local place. And I had a hard time doing it. Uh, it's not in any of our targets. It's not at any of our Barnes and Nobles. It's uh, our game store happened to not have it. And so yeah, I had a tough time finding it. Okay, so you're gonna have to go to a better degree of store than Luke is. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Um, I I don't know. I found it when I was working at Borders, and if Borders had it, then everybody should it's a, a really cheap game uh luke even even i'm yes. sure even at bucks. convention yeah even at convention prices you probably found it to be a pretty cheap game yeah it was about 15 bucks and it's a really quick really fun game to play and i can point you to tabletop this the the past episode this of week. tabletop that Yesterday, just released as well as we're recording this as we're recording this yeah you can see the kind of challenge that exists in this game. Uh, it it's not an an absolute win. It's it'll challenge you, and it, it's a just a good solid game. Well, I also wanted to put a cooperative game on my list because I think that's something one thing that a lot of people who don't know the hobby gaming world don't get that there are games where you're actually working together, right, to accomplish a goal where you're playing against and the game. Against the game, right? So in every other major board game that's out there, mass market board game, you're playing against the other people. And so in this case, in the case of games like Forbidden Island, Pandemic, and my choice, which is Castle Panic, 
Oh, uh, it's such a are, good one. You are playing against uh, the game. And what I like about Castle Panic is, is there's basically only three steps each turn. And the mechanics, there's there's very little to understand. And yet it still manages to be frantic. And and you, you've got that great feeling that you need to have in a cooperative game. Like that at any minute you could just be doomed uh, and the whole thing could go sideways. And yet at any minute, if you hit the right card, if you do things just right, you feel like you're, 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 you're golden and you're going to win until the next turn comes. Until the next <laughs> and, turn comes and uh, another wave of orcs come trompsing out of the woods to destroy absolutely. you. Absolutely. So castle panic, uh, if you imagine a series of concentric circles with a forest on the outside and at the center of the circle, uh, a, a castle formed out of, defensive walls and inner towers and each round you pull from a a mystery bag o monsters uh, that show up in the forest and begin their march inward through successive rings on on each ring uh, there's also several colors but but basically they they move in on rings and each player will have a series of cards that can attack at a particular ring and so you are trying to defeat monsters. Some of the monsters are more difficult. Some of them are easier. Uh, there are a few monsters that are uh, boss level and bring all kinds of pain. Uh, there are a few tokens that you will pull out. Uh, I I, uh, I will tell you that if, when you pull out the token that says, draw three more monsters, you will have a, a, a very negative response to that. And... Uh, and so you are working together, trying to... And this is something that, that you didn't mention about Forbidden Island, but is also true of Forbidden Island and Pandemic and all these kind of games. One of the things you're trying to do is using skills to help other players, trading cards with other players to best decide, like, maybe maybe my knight is not going to work this turn, but it will work for you two turns from now, so I'm going to give it to you now so that you'll have it then, and so you're really strategizing and working together to try to puzzle out how you're going to do this, how you're going to beat this game. And uh, I actually prefer cooperative games. They're my favorite kind of game. And uh, they are a minority uh, of uh, the games that are out there, but I definitely wanted to put one on my list. All right, so that's three from each of us. That's three from each of us. I would say that the next game I mention is, is always, if you were to just walk up, you've never played a game before and you walk up to somebody and say I, I i've never played anything what should i be looking at this is one of those games at its core to give it a, a, a name for its mechanic it is a tile laying game okay I, I think i know where you're going and what it is is carcassonne all right that's not on my list so go for it carcassonne is basically a tile laying game you start off with one tile uh, face up, and the rest of them are all face down. If you're like me, they are sprinkled across the entirety of your gaming table because it's just fun that way. And every turn, you just pick up a tile, and you have to connect it to the tile that's faced up. Um, you are are basically connecting either fields, fortresses, or roads. And all the while, you're putting little meeples. They're, they're little wooden people. Uh, if you've never heard that terminology, get used to it because they are everywhere in gaming. They are called meeples. We love our meeples. Meeples are awesome. You have a select number of meeples, and you can put them on the on the tile that you just laid. You get points for every road that you claim. You get points for every fortress you claim. 
Uh, likewise, you can try to position yourself that you're building into somebody else's castle, and then it comes down to who has more meeples built into the castle. It's it's a ton of fun, but it's, at its core, it's pick up a tile, put it down. So the basic rule is really simple. The strategy involved is really complex. It's why I put it down there. It's a tile-laying game, and there's so many tile-laying games out there. So that's why I had to put it in there. It's Carcassonne. It's another game with about a bazillion expansions. And another game you will find anywhere. Yeah. Now, I thought about Carcassonne, but here's the thing is I don't like Carcassonne. Oh, I do. So I didn't want to I didn't want to put it on my list. All right. What did uh, you so put? So now this there? one is this one is maybe a little bit out there. But it is a kind of game that that is significant and you will see played at your friendly local game store. And so I'm going to choose the Star Wars X-Wing miniature game. Uh, that Okay. And, all right. So now uh, here, here's why I choose, choose that game. One is completely widely available, so it, it totally meets that one. It is very easy to play, even though there are some advanced rules that you can use. Uh, but on, when you just buy the intro set and start playing with that, it's very easy to play. Uh, you know, you could, you can, I, you can do what I did, which was sit down with my nephew uh, over the holiday weekend and put everything together and learn how to play. But it is an example of a tabletop war game. It's a very simple tabletop war game. It's, it's what you might call a skirmish war game, uh, which is basically a war game with a very small number of troops. You're, you're looking at uh, anywhere from, well, one, I suppose, to, you know, five or six uh, right. in a, uh, an X-wing game. And you're playing with models on the table. Uh, in this case, there is no board. Um, so you're using models and templates to tell you where the models can move and how they can fire and, and things like that. And so that is kind of the beginning, the, the introduction to games like Battletech and Flames of War and Warhammer and War Machine and Malifaux and all of these tabletop board games that are in a world, uh, tabletop war games, I'm sorry, that are a world unto themselves, right? It's it's almost a separate hobby from board gaming, but there's so much overlap there. I wanted to throw one in that if you're interested in that part of the world, you could you can take that game up and start with it. And of course, it's Star Wars, right? Everybody knows what an X-wing does. Everybody knows what a Tie Fighter does. So it, it's easy to pick up and, and play. I do have to ask Luke uh, before I go on to my my last one that I'm going to reference here. Have you bought yourself no, a Millennium I Falcon yet? Uh, again, now those <laughs> are hard to find. Oh, I'm sure, because everybody and their yeah, uncle was And people bought them even them. if they didn't have the game. They just wanted the mini. And so those are, those are tough to find. I, the, the, I will say that the miniatures, the miniatures are they a little are, bit of gorgeous. Uh, and they come pre-painted, which is nice. They're totally assembled and pre-painted and all of that. So you don't need to get into the hobby aspect of wargaming uh, if you just want to see what it's like to play with little, little toy soldiers on a table. Um, and uh, the third expansion is is due soon. It's coming. Uh, you get a shuttle Tiderian, which is kind of awesome. And uh, uh, so yeah, it's out there, and uh, it's definitely a lot of fun. And I think it's a game that's going to be around for a while. I really do. All right, so Excellent. four and four, and I'm guessing All we right. picked the same one for our fifth. But bring it. I would be very surprised if we picked something different for our fifth. At its core, it's incredibly simple. It's a ton of fun, and really all it is is matching colors. I picked so did I. to Ride. 
absolutely got to be on this list. It's it's incredibly available. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I think I got the t- the copy that I currently own. To be fair, it is Target. a little expensive, even at Target. It's it. I would say it's a middle range. Right, but in terms title. of the in terms of the it's intro like, games that we've been throwing out there today. It is the most expensive. Right, no, this would be this would be the more expensive of the intro It is also the one excited. of the easiest. It is one of my top 2 in terms of the most accessible. It literally is is matching colors. You get different cards uh, and you're you're basically looking to take the, those the colored cards and match the train tracks that are so on the board. So you're playing on uh, um, the whole time yep. you've been given mm-hmm. desti- you've been given destination cards and you can keep as many of them as you want. Uh, up to three, and the more destination cards you get, you can actually complete successfully before the end of the game. The more points for you, but they are risky because if you do not complete them, you lose that many. Every time you build a train, you're gaining points. The only the only complication to this game that I've found is remembering to keep track of your score. <laughs> yeah, well, and and you can add <laughs> it there up are several the times. Uh, which is what what we do uh, well, yeah. when we play, and I play a lot. I actually have a regular Ticket to Ride group that I play with uh, every Wednesday. Um, and, you know, it, it's... But there is a track, around, not a track, there's a, a counter around the outside that you can keep track as you go of what your your train score is. You keep your destination secret till the end of the game. And I will say there is a caveat to this because, again, there are a boatload of different versions. These are not expansions. These there are, are expansions versions. Too. They are standalone games. Yeah. yeah. Well, I know there, there are expansions, but more often than not, if you're looking at games that say Ticket to Ride, make sure that it just says Ticket to Ride because there's Ticket to Ride Europe, there's Ticket to Ride Africa, there's Ticket to Ride, Asia, Baltic nations. Basically, they cover most of the con- they cover most of the continents, and you just get tickets. Just get the U.S. <laughs> yeah, the other ones. The other ones add rules that if you if you haven't played Ticket to Ride and you're looking to just get into gaming at all, right. t- just go with a regular Ticket to Ride. It's it's simple. It's awesome. Can be played by and two players. Can be yes, played. I by promise f- you. I think pe- five is the most. Maybe six. Five or six. Um, yeah, five. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken. So you know, that's that's a rarity. A game that you can play with two players, really, just perfectly. Like, no, no problems whatsoever. Sometimes these games really are better played with three or four people. Uh, but Ticket to Ride doesn't care. And and it is a game that is, <laughs> while it is, there's no variation in the game in the sense that yes, you draw different destinations every time you play, but the board doesn't change. It is the same. And yet, it is somehow infinitely replayable uh, because it's so simple, because it's so quick. It's really just a joy to play. And, you know, I, like I said, I'll play two or three games every Wednesday and be totally happy with it. So there, there you go. There's our, our top five uh, each. Mine were Flux, Castle Panic, Ticket to Ride, Settlers of Catan, and Star Wars X-Wings, a miniature game. And yours were? Dominion, Forbidden Island, Carcassonne, and then I also had Settlers of Catan. And, and I, I think, uh, so that's like, what, eight that we came up with there? I think any of those would really get you into the gaming world. So thank you so much, Alicia, for uh, giving us that question. And... Uh, 
folks, if you have questions, and they don't need to be top five list. If, if there's just a topic you want us to address, something you're interested in, uh, please let us know. We will respond and answer your questions. Yeah, we will get to it, and sometimes we'll do it on the show, sometimes we'll do it on the Facebook page, but we want to be in dialogue with you. So thank you, thank you for that. Uh, so now we get to uh, the game news of the week, and there's, a, there's one big giant one, so we should just get to that. X-Bone. <laughs> Uh, you know, I I don't want to spend too much time on this one because I'd rather talk about the next one anyway, the next big piece of news. But this is I, I I don't want to beat the dead horse is the big thing. You there are lots of people out there who've had a lot more coverage of the Xbox One release than we will, and I would ask you to go listen to them. Uh, the one thing I will say is that and, and Luke, you said it so brilliantly in your tone there. We here at Game Store Profits are not impressed. We like games. So I'll tell you what, ask me again after E3. Right. They The the big thing, at the actual reveal, it was all TV, 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 TV. You know, eventually they mentioned EA Sports Games and mm. Call of Duty, which I haven't played either one of those in right. forever. Look, I, I, I really, I'm absolutely sure that great game makers are going to do awesome things with this system. I just haven't seen any of it yet, so I don't care. That's the hope. <laughs> That's the hope. Uh, so far, they've been really tight on any kind of actual gaming. Everything has just been, you can watch TV on this, and quite frankly, I already have a device that does that. It's called the TV. Now, uh, <laughs> so one person who is very likely to be doing something very strange with the new Xbox is Peter Molyneux, who does weird things. Oh, Peter Molyneux is so delightfully ridiculous. And uh, he, he's <laughs> really had... Uh, what he, I don't think it's right to call it a game. It's not a game. He's had a thing on... I think it was on iOS, right? Yeah, uh, I believe it was iOS. I don't know if it was on Android or not. Uh, uh, and it was called... What was it called? Cube? It was called the... Uh, Curiosity. Curiosity. Uh, so imagine this, a giant cube made out of other cubes. With something in the middle and everybody but he refuses to tell you what that something is all he says is it will change your and life as uh, a community as a crowd uh we are to remove said cubes bit by bit until we uh somebody gets to the middle and uh we've mentioned along the way we pro i think we've mentioned that that uh, he did something a little bit fun in that he allowed people to pay uh, whatever, 99 cents or whatever it was, to essentially grief the process and add more cubes back in, which I think was ingenious. But Because because Peter Molyneux is a twisted, demented figure who says, oh, this is going to end way too quickly if we just let them do this. Clearly, we need to throw in something that will give me more money and them more annoyance. Uh, and so, uh, apparently... Uh, we have now gotten to the center of the Curiosity Cube. And, uh, Mike, what was there? Uh, apparently, when you got to the center of it, which a man by the name of Brian Henderson from Edinburgh, Scotland, hit that last cube. Uh, hmm. How do I explain this? Basically, Peter Molyneux showed up. Everybody kind of knew that was going to happen. Yeah. It makes sense. He likes to put his name and face and like Creepy video avatar a la Demon by uh, Daniel Suarez. Great book, yes. by the way. And 
what made what made this particularly interesting is that Peter Molyneux then announced that the gentleman who cracked the cube would be made a god. That's uh, I didn't realize he had that kind of power. Though he is the person who created he both populous and black and white. So if anybody knows how to make gods, yes, it's Peter Molyneux. Peter Molyneux is one of those guys who pretty much defined the genre that became the God game. Whereas you are literally presiding over a little, well, populace, which is why he called it that. Um, And you can do things like changing the land that they live on. You can send them off to war. You, you can literally control everything. You can smite them with your giant finger of smiting. Lives. Don't forget the finger. Yes, that is important, the giant finger of smiting. But, uh, so apparently Peter Molyneux has said that he's coming up with a new game, and this game is called Goddess, G-O-D-U-S. And I had not heard anything about this game, except for the fact that this this announcement came out. Uh, apparently, it, it's a god game. Apparently you are presiding over this you know, little group of people, and your goal is to make them rise into a powerful civilization. However, for a spin, uh, Brian Henderson is now going to be what's referred to as the God of Gods, which basically means that he's going to receive some royalties from this game. Not a bad prize for finding He is going to... He is basically going to be given the ability to give input into the game... To the point where Molyneux has said, as long as the designers can do it and it won't break the game, whatever Brian says goes. If if Brian says something is should be this way and the designers can do it without breaking the game, they're going to. And what's particularly interesting about this is, is that this prize is temporary. Apparently, according to Molyneux, people can oust Brian Henderson from his position of God of Gods. And then they would get some of the royalties and be able to say how the game gets done and all, all sorts of stuff mythic. like that. The prize basically transfers to another person. I think it's an interesting idea. So, but, I mean, it better be a fun game. Because otherwise, to have that one dude who does nothing but spends his entire life playing the game, becoming the dude who runs the game, does not sound fun. See, this is what I've figured out. I think Peter Molyneux wants somebody else to be Peter Molyneux. Hear me out on this one. Peter Molyneux was also one of the the big big wigs at a game series called Fable. Now, Peter Molyneux was... was When Fable first became a thing, like, now people kind of know what Fable's about. But before it was a thing... He's like, you're going to be able to make complex moral decisions and and everything's going to affect everything else and everything like this. And what you do over here is going to affect what this city does, everything like that. And he had this huge, deep, oh my goodness, I can't wait for this game to come out kind of press built around it. And then Fable came out. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm one of those people who do enjoy the Fable game. But I think part of the reason why people don't like the Fable games is because they were looking for the Fable games that Peter Molyneux promised. And that doesn't happen. The The most that you can do is change the way your character looks and the way people see him. You, you'll be able to marry people in different towns. You'll be able to... It. it he promised way more than he could deliver. 
ever. And it's because of the fact that the companies just let Peter Molyneux go out and talk to the press and do this and we'll do this. Oh yeah, we'll totally do that. Oh yeah, we'll totally do that. And then the developers are like, we, we can't do that. that. That can't be a thing. We don't have the ability to make that happen. So I'm convinced that Mr. Molyneux basically wants somebody else to do that instead of him. He wants somebody else to make the grand promises, the epic statements, the over-the-top promises, and have it fall on them instead of him. Because, I don't know, I'm, I'm incredibly leery about a game that puts its entire lock stock and barrel in one guy and that that's not just because he's not a designer i i don't like any game that one guy is the focus well, it, where one guy makes all it the is sort of the visionary's dilemma right and and we could True. quote some other examples i i think about will wright and spore uh oh, i think yeah. about richard garriott and flying to the moon um, you know, I think about, <laughs> oh, Lord British, you're so funny. And, uh, you know, these are guys who initially and were, they were mind blowing. They really were innovators that created amazing things. Uh, Richard Garriott created uh, Ultima Online, uh, basically the first MMORPG, uh, worldwide, SimCity and the Sims, which, you know, that's significant. And Peter Molyneux, the God game. I mean, he created basically an entire genre of games. And, you know, these are visionaries. These are, are leaders who uh, have made their, made their name by creating things that were amazing, that were well beyond what anybody thought could happen. And, uh, you know, the tough thing is uh, keeping up that track record. Not an easy thing to do, um, and and we see that uh, that the fable promised a lot. It was a decent game, and did not, but deliver. it did not deliver what it was promised. Spore promised black and white. If you want to, if you want to, if you want to keep going on on the Peter Bolinu trail, black and white promised the world. Right. Uh, black and white. For those of you who might not have played it, I played black and white like a champ. Basically. You show up on the scene, and again, Peter Molyneux fashion, this is a god game. You're the god residing over these little populace, and you also have this giant creature, which is the basically the embodiment of your will, and he either gets cute and fuzzy and loves everyone, or becomes the instrument of your divine wrath as he starts eating villagers and, you know, just destroying anything in his path. Uh, yeah, that game, again promised a whole lot and it was buggy it didn't work right the the giant monster never did what you told it to uh it it was awful and and, and granted in that regard it was not so much the vision of the game but the mechanic and the actual make it happen level the practical rubber meets the road kind of level that fell apart but oh my goodness it was so bad and i even played i played black and white too i played the expansion and i kept saying this is going to get fixed right well no no it that's, didn't that's always the case it's in the mechanics and and you know what here's the thing is that i have been that guy those who've listened to the show long enough know that uh, for a while uh, i was a church planter 
and uh, was involved in several church plants. And here's the thing about being a church planner is you have to pitch a vision. You, oh, you yeah, have you to do. sell not only to your congregation, not only to the community, but also to the backers, a, a vision of what God is calling you to do. And it's not, and I don't mean for it to sound like it's some kind of underhanded thing. It's not. I truly believe that God is calling us to do this thing. But here's the tricky bit about God's calling, is God never says it's going to get done. When God calls you to an adventure, he does not say you will come home. He just says, I want you to go on this adventure. Do you realize how profound a statement you just made? Well, I've been there. And, you know, all of us who love fantasy, all of us who love the stories, all of us who love sci-fi, we all want to be a hero, just like Peter Mullion. We want to make something incredible. And God wants to call you to something incredible. But he doesn't want to call you to something incredible for the incredible thing's sake. He wants to call you to something incredible because that is the life that he has for you. And you don't know how it's going to go. He knows how it's going to go, but he is notorious and not telling us how it's going to go. And sometimes you get to be the hero. I got to be the hero a number of times, and it was an awful lot of fun. Sometimes you don't, and it's not very fun. But God is behind both. God knows what's happening. He knows how the dice are going to fall, he, and he, he's planning it for you. He's wanting to be there with you in the successes and the failures. And, you know, so often we think, well, we must have done something wrong. We must have left God's will. And that's a possibility. And you need to really look hard and decide if that's the case. But sometimes you say, no, you know what? I really was, I was following God here. And it didn't go the way I wanted it to go. That's just the way it is. And see, there's plenty of examples throughout Scripture of, of that being the case. I always love... Uh, just the idea of Abram. Before he was Abraham, he was Abram. And basically, God showed up to Abram and said, leave your father's house and go. And I just imagine him looking up saying, well, where should I go and what should I do when I get there? And God just looking down saying, no, no, pick up your stuff and go. I'll tell you when to stop. That's it. That was the instruction he was given. Pick up your stuff, leave your father's house, and go until I tell you to. I I, I mean, how often do we get stuff like that? And you can look through the history of of everybody that succeeded and failed, and sometimes both. Um, you look at the the big ticket guys throughout Scripture. Um, Moses, he was God's man for the longest time. He's standing outside. He's standing outside the promised land, screws up, and God says, "Sorry, buddy, you don't get to finish this ride." David, I I, I love. The character of David, I love his story. I, I love the fact that that the history of, of God's story involves a man like David because he's a man who screwed up epically, but is still constantly referred to as a man after God's own heart. But even then, there's a moment that I'm, I'm there's several moments that you can cite in David's life that are, are interesting, but there's a moment when David's like. Like, God, I want to build a house for you. I want to build your temple. And God says, no, you don't get to do this. Your son will. You don't get to do this. And you'd think that that God would be all about David being like, yes. Oh, yeah, that's awesome that you want me to, you know, to live with you. You want me to, to dwell with your people. This is awesome. Let's build this thing. I am all in. 
But God said, no, no, wait a little bit. Wait, the next generation will take care of that. You take care of this other. Th and sometimes just that's just how he he sees. That's how, that's the kind of the, the plan that he has for us. He's asking us to, to show up, to go, to build or not build. He's asking us to wait. He's asking us to stop waiting and get on with it for crying out loud. And all of it, the successes, the failures, and even the, the, the middling about in the desert is all part of what he has for us. And so I, I kind of hope that that this guy, who I think he's a pretty young kid, I think he's like 20, and I really hope that this guy, you know, I'm pretty confident that as, as I title this thing about, you know, the God game and stuff like that, I'm pretty confident that some of you out there were expecting us to talk about this idea of Peter Molyneux made a god and that's blasphemous. And really, I'm not giving Molyneux that much credit. <laughs> I, I really, I don't, I don't want to give him if that. If by god you uh, mean project lead. Be, yeah, there's, there's, there'd have to be forethought for that to be blasphemy. I think he's just stupid. But you got something different. And I really hope that this, this guy, as long as his quote-unquote reign is, I really hope that he starts looking not just to bloat his own ego and cash in on, on the money train of, of I'm the one that's in charge. I really hope he looks at the, the, the gaming world that he's been given and he really tries to just do what he can for the betterment of the players. One thing that I'm really intrigued about as far as what this game's going to do is if this guy actually says, I'm just going to, I'm just going to do what I think is best for the players. I want to make the game that I would play if if I was on the other side of this. And he he talks to the designers. He gets their input. He doesn't let Peter Molyneux talk to him. If that happens, maybe he doesn't get ousted. Maybe people are so happy with what he does and what he suggests and what he puts into this game. Maybe they just... Maybe he becomes a sane lord british maybe he becomes the guy who's in charge and no one wants to kick him out i'm really curious as to what happens to that and i promise you the only way that happens is if he enjoys the ride for what it is not for what he can do with it well and i think that's a that's a strong lesson for all of us as well you know so often we are focusing on whatever our goal is that we miss the journey and uh, you know we we know that we are called to throw the ring in the fire, to defeat the evil wizard, to blast the aliens, whatever. But you never notice that the life is happening as you go. And as long as you can stop and look around and realize that God's with you. He is walking alongside of you every day of your life and all of your successes and all of your failures. He's there. That he is brought together around you a community of people who are with you and who are living life with you and even if you might feel separate from those people they are probably there and then God has brought an extended community I'm... of nerds who love you in their nerdy way and yeah, they, do. they are with you and we are journeying through life together and and I, I will definitely you, you, brought up, you brought up the Lord of the Rings reference and, and I have to bring this up as far as the whole uh, appreciating the journey thing. Everyone, when the, especially when the movies came out, you know, granted, I, I'm the first one who, who will 
sign up to be a Tolkien fanboy. I am. I love this man's work. I love everything that he wrote. There are shelves, yes, plural, of my personal library devoted to Tolkien books and books about Tolkien's books. But at the same point, I'll argue that he didn't know how to write an ending. No, he didn't want it he, to end. He, he was horrible at it. And everyone jokes, especially after the movies happened, why on earth did we have this epic journey when we could have just asked the eagles to fly us there, dump the ring, and fly us out? The, the giant eagle argument. Heck, uh, the guys on, on the internet, the, the how it should have ended guys, that's literally what it was. Just showed up, drop the ring, get out, eagle's done. No journey, no struggle, pop, pop, done. My thing about that, my response to why didn't they take the eagles at the beginning is usually one that, that gets people a little frustrated because in their eyes it doesn't answer the question. When asked, why don't we take the eagles, I respond with, because you miss out on one of the greatest stories ever told. You miss out on the journey that literally created a genre of speculative fiction. Everybody who's ever written a fantasy book after Tolkien did it, reflected on what Tolkien has done. If you take the Eagles, you have a pamphlet that is not worth your time. Yeah, it could have gone down that way, but it would have been the dumbest thing ever, and it would have robbed us of one of the greatest books and book series ever. So do not miss your own story, because it's being played out every day, and maybe your eyes are so far in the future that you don't see it. I encourage you to slow down. Get together with friends and live your story. Mike, how can folks hook up with Game Store Profits? How can they they send us emails? How can they like us on Facebook? All that stuff. Well, the biggest thing is going to be Facebook.com slash Game Store Profits. It's where we put up a bunch of stuff. It's where Alicia dropped this suggestion, which is what created the beginning of this episode. There's the way you can email us. Uh, you definitely email suggestions. I think my email just hit for this, actually, so I'm going to have to check that in a minute. Um, GameStoreProfits at gmail.com. Email us with your suggestions. Email us if you want to help out with Project Awesome. And uh, email us with just, you know, we like to hear nice things, so feel free to email us with those, too. I promise you that I, I will forward every nice thing that you say about us to Luke as well because we both need to hear about how awesome we are. Uh, other than that, you can definitely check out just our our webpage itself, GameStoreProfits.com. We'll be doing all sorts of fun stuff on there. I, I will say that as far as the Facebook page is concerned, I've rolled out the uh, new logos that for the podcast that Amy Irvin has provided for us. She did a great job. I will say that I've gotten a lot of comments about those, and I wish I could say that I did them. Amy did a fantastic job, and I'm definitely looking forward to what she's going to give us for the rest of Project Awesome because, she, again, this is a, a, a tip for you guys who want to know more. Amy knows what Project Awesome's real name is because she's helping us. She's actually working on the logo right now for what Project Awesome's real name is. So... It lets you know that if you want to be involved, we're definitely there for you. Absolutely. And we are so thankful for every way that you're involved. Whether you are helping out, or whether you are telling others about us, or whether you're just hey, sitting back on your way to work, listening to the geeky stuff. 
we are thankful for you. Oh, Luke, by the way, we now have another rating on iTunes, which is something that is a simple way that everybody who's listening to us can help us out. Because the more people give us good reviews on iTunes and on Stitcher, the more likely that people who have never heard of us before will find us. I recently went on our page and found out that somebody else reviewed us. And that is, so thank you. We appreciate it. Really it is doubly important for us because we are a double niche show. We are both a Christian show and a geeky show, and and so we need all of the uh, the airtime, all of the uh, the the oomph that we can. When, and it comes to spreading the word. But the best way, though, the best way to spread the word is just to tell your friends about us and uh, get yourself something to chat about uh, how wrong we are each week uh, when we make our lists and when we uh, talk <laughs> about games and when we talk about uh, God. And so we encourage you to do that. And thank you again for listening. And remember that God is a game master. No matter how the dice fall, the game plays on.